With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Off Top Podcast, otherwise known as the Brian Colangelo is a fucking idiot podcast. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to begin this podcast. I'm also sick, so I'm going to try and limit the amount of yelling and or laughing I do. Lo, introduce yourself, man. Yo, what up, podcast people? It's the one and only legend of winning, a.k.a. Lo. I low-key thought that we were only going to be able to talk about, like, the playoffs and kind of review the conference finals in both East and the Western Conference. But like you said, Brian Colangelo, my goodness, what a, what an idiot. <laughs> I'm Jesus. not even going to try and limit the cursing on this one. I just, it had, he's a fucking idiot. And oh my goodness. All right, Lo, just, I, I just came off the stream uh, playing some Fortnite and, and Lo graciously provided me with some information. Lo, explain to the people this whole Colangelo dilemma. All right, so for people out there, we're recording this right now on the 29th or 30th, whatever, right? And news is just now getting out that Brian Colangelo, allegedly, but at this point, there's so much um, overwhelming amounting evidence that is in favor of Brian Colangelo is out here with multiple burner Twitter accounts going around criticizing not only the coaching staff for the 76ers, not only the players for the 76ers, but even old vendettas that he has against ex-associates such as Masai Jir with the Toronto Raptors. A jury. And a also jury. for the people who uh, haven't been initiated, Brian Colangelo, used, he was a GM of the year with the Suns. The Raptors picked him up. He did a horrible job with the Raptors. He drafted Bargnani. Lo, you remember that? First overall. And then the 76ers picked him up and, for whatever reason, trusted him with all of their draft picks, which I knew was going to turn out in a disaster. But they didn't know that. And so this is probably the biggest scandal I've ever seen from Brian Colangelo. But the evidence is mounting hilariously. And it's, it's, it's in a very time. So the entire Ringer article, I'm going to let you go through it. So I, I'm, I'm not going to restate everything that's in the Ringer article, but just uh, just a quick review. Um, Hinky, they gave up on Hinky basically about a year and a half ago. And like agent said, that's when they brought in Brian Colangelo. So, um, just as a quick review, and this is like the opening of the article in February, the ringer received an anonymous tip that Brian Colangelo, the Philadelphia 76ers president of basketball operations, which is basically the GM has been secretly operating five Twitter accounts (laughs) since then. There's been an eternal investigation within the Philadelphia 76ers, and then today it's gotten out. But uh, ov- the, the overcasting of it is criticizing players, and when he's criticizing players, such as Joel Embiid, about how he doesn't take things serious, and how he dances in the hallway, and how he's eating unhealthy off the court, and how he doesn't stay in tip-top shape. Jaleel Okafor forcing the media like media members to question Jaleel Okafor about him passing physicals so they can like try to trade him. So it doesn't become harder for him to trade him and Nerlens Noel about his commitment to the organization and him actually trying that hard. 
He furthermore criticized Sam Hinkey and like we said earlier, Masai. He questioned Sam Hinkey because he felt like Sam Hinkey wasn't really doing enough and he just lucked up in some of the um some some of the players that he received and the opportunity he received during the draft. And he also questioned Masai claiming that Masai really didn't do nothing for the organization because everything that Masai was able to do was really just carrying over for what Brian Colangelo did, which, like Agent said, he drafted Bargnani with the number one pick, and Masai so is the you, one who had to go out of his way. Like, uh, okay, I, 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 I'll, I'll read the... Um, and I'll read, and uh, say which burner uh, account it was with, <laughs> which one of the five it was with. <laughs> all, right, all right, hold on, let me, let me, let me, let me get... Um, let me get the uh here's a here's a here's one of the Jaleel ones. Or at least I think it is. Okay. So <clears throat> Sixers Nation, which hit one one of his accounts is called Eric Jr. at Al Vic in a whole bunch of random numbers. It, they're, they're ridiculous um burner accounts. But Sixers Nation is another Twitter account that's that's like a I don't want to say verified, but it's like a news outlet for the Philadelphia 76ers. And the question that they were asking on February 15, 2017 was, you think that, do you think that this Okafor situation is helping to make Nerlens want to stay here once his contract is up? I don't know how to feel. So Eric Jr., quote unquote, Brian Colangelo, he responds with, yes, because he knows the team is protecting Jaleel, not saying why deal, not saying why they're going to deal for him. Noel behaving like a vulture to get more money. Jeez. That's that's how deep this is. Not only that, there's other tweets where he's going around basically just straight out admitting that Jaleel Okafor, the reason why they're not they don't want to deal with him and the reason why it's hard to get rid of him is because he's not passing physicals or things of like things of that nature. Also, he's also here's another one that again, this is allegedly and he's responding to the exact same um, Sixers Nation tweet. Noel is looking out for Noel. Nobody knows about uh, Jaleel's knee, and he's using it for leverage. What's a great teammate? He's disgusting me. That I mean, to to that degree. So it's not like some little critiques here and there. We're going as far as saying disgusting. They're vultures. They're selfish. Again, this is the general, the general manager, manager for the Philadelphia 76 So, uh, there's, the, a, the general there's, manager. A, there's a Twitter page called Liberty Ballers. I've seen them a few times. They put out this article criticizing Brian Colangelo. Somebody replied to that and said, he's going to ruin everything Hinky built. And Brian Colangelo responded on one of his uh, burner accounts saying, clown? Why? What did Hinky build? My gosh, the biased insanity. Like, he's really speaking his mind on these accounts where he felt like he couldn't be held responsible for what he's saying. And it is absolutely hilarious now that we're finding out. And uh, you said that he was unfollowing a bunch of people to try and make it look like it wasn't him as soon as the story got yes. out. Yeah, so so like we said before, like I said earlier, the story has been internal for the last few months. Like I said, in February is when the ringer received uh, an actual tip. But it's been going on internally with the 76ers as early as I've read as, um, as, as January. So once it was brought up to his attention, obviously he's going to deny it. However, what ended up happening is, is that he has, um, if I'm not mistaken, five multiple burner accounts. <laughs> one of the burner, one of the burner accounts f- is following personal people 
that only only Brian Colangelo would associate himself with. So, for example, since I con- since I contacted this is um, a quote from the Ringers um, post. Since I contacted the 76ers, Steel Balling, which is one of Brian Colangelo's burner accounts, Steel Balling has unfollowed 37 accounts with direct ties to Colangelo, including several of his son's college basketball teammates, oh. a former a, 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 a former coach from his son's high school and an accountant that shares the same agent as Brian Colangelo and also someone who, who used to previously represent Colangelo as well. Like those are so directly connected to Brian Colangelo that it it's, it's not even coincidental. It's so obviously that it's Brian Colangelo. The fact that he would immediately unfollow these people at the exact same time is ridiculous, but that's what Brian Colangelo is doing. Here's somebody else though. Shout out to Adam at Sixers, Adam He's saying that on Twitter, sorry, Brian, I got you. Went to reset the passwords because Brian Colangelo has been attempting to get rid of the um the accounts and someone else is basically trying to hack him and reset the passwords. <laughs> he said I, I went to I went to reset the passwords and three of the five burner accounts, every single one has a phone number ending in nine one. <laughs> this is clearly this is clearly not a coincidence. And he also noted that he he kind of um, cropped out Colangelo's emails out of the picture. It, it, basically, what I'm saying is the evidence is so overwhelmingly mounting against Brian Colangelo that it's it's obviously that it's Colangelo who's doing it. It's not anybody else because no one would have all that information against all of the all of the teammates. The information against Masai and Sam Hinkie critiquing all these people. While also having ties directly to Brian Colangelo as well, such as his son's teammates in college, like that's how ridiculous this is. So the real question is why? What is what is a reasonable explanation for criticizing your own players? Because you know how that's going to look. And B already put out a bunch of tweets. He uh, replied to Woj. Woj put out a tweet saying, "Oh wait, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, I have to cut you off real quick." A huge reason why this kind of got caught out because once everything was rolling, this man Embiid took it to a whole other level of savagery. Was on Twitter liking the tweets from Brian Colangelo's burner account, and that's when everyone, that's when Twitter really started to pick up on it because he was directly liking tweets from some from random burner accounts that no one didn't know about until now. That's what really kind of pushed it over the edge. Yeah, today. so uh, he said in a statement that he trusts Colangelo till now. And Colangelo, of course, is denying all of this. But it's so very clear that he's the one, uh, allegedly, of course, that's behind all of this. And B put out a tweet saying, I'm upset. And he at Drake. So he's definitely feeling some sort of way. And B's, every single time he's feeling, he's always, he's pretty, he's pretty clear about his emotions on twitter like when uh, the celtics got eliminated he put out a tweet and said i guess they're on the couch too now because every time and beetle criticize somebody in the playoffs everyone would say but you're sitting on your couch and now he's like so i'm just trying to say that and beat always speaks his mind so i know in his statement he did say that for now until the evidence but we know we know. And you know how it's going to look for the team. The general manager is out there criticizing players, saying and B doesn't take things seriously enough. That's not a good look at all. And 
I, I tried to tell the 76ers, man, that and the, Brian Colangelo was a horrible general manager for the Raptors. And he spent so much time doing nothing. When he was the general manager for the team, the team was just running on the spot over and over and over again, making no improvements at all. Of course, Bargnani was one of the biggest flops in draft history, only to be outdone by probably Anthony Bennett, right? And so when the 76 is a team with an insane amount of high-quality draft picks, pick the guy that drafted Bargnani first overall and fucked up the Raptors, I thought to myself, why would they possibly do that? Are they not looking at the evidence <laughs> over the course of the last six, seven years he was with the Raptors? Or do they just not care? So they fired Hinky, you know, and they decided to go with Colangelo. And I knew it wasn't going to end well, right? Nerlens Noel left. They didn't really get much back. Jaleel Okafor, and they drafted Markel Fultz, and he didn't play in the first year. But because Embiid and Ben Simmons were panning out, and those are obvious picks, like, it kind of just... Nobody was really criticizing Colangelo because everything was forming. You know, the whole plan was kind of just coming together. Of course, most of the credit going to Sam Hinkie. So we're in a weird position now where Brian Colangelo has managed to turn the entire team against him. Because how could you possibly trust the guy at the top of your organization when he's been behind your back talking smack? He didn't post it on his own Twitter page. He made five burner accounts. And, Lo, you said how long was the, inv- the investigation was going on for how long? The, the internal, whatever, there were talks about it for a while, but it, they made it into internal investigation in January. So, and obviously, I mean, they got to they gotta get enough evidence to, like, kind of get to Five months. You right tell now. me for five months, if they're still investigating something, that means there's some shit behind it. <laughs> so, uh, this is the... Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm not going to see him lie to you. I mean, at first, I thought it was kind of like, you know, obviously Twitter kind of gets a little yeah, crazy, yeah. but there's at this point the amount of evidence that's behind it, and it's not just people on Twitter tweeting about it. It's like credible people, like even Woj is tweeting about it right now, and like it's it's credible people who are talking about it, who are still holding some some level of of I, I guess it's just credited in favor of. Of this man, um, Brian Colangelo, and not trying to, you know, completely out him or not to completely throw him under the bus since they don't have overwhelming evidence they yet, do. even though I believe they, they do. They do but all right. I, I, I believe they do, but obviously you got to keep a, a level of professionalism. But when Woj and Sham and you got all these verified people who are like, oh man, this, if, if this is true, which it definitely seems like it's true, like this is, this is a really bad thing. And, and the only reason why to me, this is a huge problem is is for two reasons. One, part part of building the process and a part of having a dynasty or, or whatever you want to say is also being in tip top shape, not just with the players on the floor, but also the decision makers in the front office. And I think that that is a problem that many people fail to realize that talent will only get you so far and you're going to have to fill out the rosters, make the hard decisions when it comes to bringing the personnel and the players. And I don't necessarily know if Sam Hinkie was that that person, but Brian Colangelo has provided enough evidence that quite honestly, he hasn't, he doesn't have the greatest of track records doing so. Right. right? And so if, if the argument is we got to trust the process and this is building process with the 76ers, but the person who was supposed to be bringing in the pieces year in and year out and making the tough decisions financially and so on and so forth, is he, if he's Brian Colangelo and you have players who don't trust him 
and you have coaching staffs. Like he was, he was criticizing everybody. And so when everyone is against a general manager, it makes it that much, it, it, it makes it that much harder for him to do his job accordingly, which people are already questioning his competency in his own job. The second part of this though is, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that they were going to get LeBron, but there's no way that LeBron is leaving a dysfunctional organization with a ridiculous owner who's trying to be a general manager in Cleveland to go join the Philadelphia 76ers with clown ass Brian Colangelo. They're not, he's not doing that. The most frustrating thing for me is his criticism of Embiid not taking things seriously. Like, I think it's really entertaining that Embiid will get a massage on the court before the game. Or he'll be eating a burger in Hassan Whiteside's face, almost like mocking him, like he's not even worried that Hassan Whiteside is going to get the better of him on that game. The fact that, for whatever reason, the, the, the general managers or even fans sometimes think it's okay to just crush the happiness of these players. Do you remember, Lowe, when uh, Dwight Howard went to the Lakers? He was smiling, and the team was fumbling and doing really bad throughout the season. And the media was criticizing him like crazy, saying he's not taking things seriously, mostly because he was just smiling and having fun while he was playing. Why are we criticizing these players for for smiling, for enjoying what they do? This is what they do for a living. You don't think they enjoy it? So, I, I mean, I love the antics. I love how ridiculous Embiid is. He's easily the most entertaining player for me to watch. And I hate that the general manager of his team thinks that. And it's one thing to say that he's not eating healthy or whatever, whatever, whatever. And he probably knows more than us what Embiid is eating or what his nutrition is looking like. But don't try and stomp the happiness out the guy. What is wrong with you? I mean, I can't stand people like that. Let these players enjoy themselves. Let them smile. I get it. Everybody wants to win a championship. And for general managers and for, for uh, the people in the front office, they all just want to make some money. But damn, man, that's your franchise player right there. Hey. So so let me, so let so again, just in case people don't necessarily know the details in which we're referring to or which I'm referring to. Again, this is all in the Ringer article and you're quoting him from the Twitter accounts. One of the Twitter accounts said this to um, responding to someone else about the situation with Joel Embiid because he missed a few games during the regular season. This is verbatim what the Twitter account says. Joel, you're just a kid, but why didn't you tell the docs your knees hurt before Houston? You cost yourself, in quotation marks, us, nine plus games and a playoff spot. Like, how specific that is, is ridiculous. <laughs> that is so... That has to be somebody in the organization. Specific. That's not just a fan. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Why would you, How would you know that? Here, here's another one. This is one where he's criticizing Joel Embiid for dancing. Too bad that Joel, Too bad that Embiid dances like a fool and the whole disaster happened. Next time, he will think twice before mocking his team. So how does him like dancing? Just, what how does that have to do with? I, I don't know. This, this no I correlation. You know the no correlation gif. You know the one I'm talking about <laughs> with the graph and I the dots I, I all mean, over the place. <laughs> That's it's just ridiculous. That is insane. So Brian Colangelo, man, and, and and further, and I'm looking. I'm, it's just more. It's just more things about how like certain beat writers should be called out or certain um, coaches should be called out. It's it's pretty. It's extensive. 
Like it's 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 really extensive. So uh, Woj tweeted that the GMs believe Colangelo because they can't think of a reasonable explanation why somebody would risk their job to put out tweets like that on a burner account. Where if you could just tell by the information that somebody high up had that info. Now whether he dispersed that info to somebody else is one thing, but it came from somewhere. From someone who knows and is and kept in the loop all the time with that organization, that's just weird. Why would I, I mean? That's anyway. Lo, I don't want to talk more about this. I just want the 76ers to know that I feel sorry for y'all, man. If you guys get a chance, just take a look at the draft picks and the trades that Colangelo did with the Raptors. He is a horrible general manager, and he is the worst person to be in the position he's in. The fact that he's even in that position getting any sort of credit for what Hinky built in that organization is absolutely pathetic. And I, I hope this is proved correct. Even if it's not low, I am assured that Brian Colangelo will find another way to ruin the 76ers. No doubt about that. And it seems like based on Embiid's tweets, he's came around to believing that indeed Brian Colangelo is the one behind those accounts. So we'll leave it on that note. Low, let's talk about... Let's talk about the. Oh well, let, let me say this last okay. thing, Brian Colangelo, man, get get your shit together, cause like you, like even even beyond like the whole like putting your team in jeopardy, bro. How old are you? Like what? Like what are you? Like what do you do that your life isn't busy enough as a general manager for an organization that that quite honestly was pulling off a lot of transactions throughout the entire po well not not postseason preseason excuse me throughout the entire preseason or offseason in this upcoming year, that you found the time to create five burner accounts and was reacting to not just verify people, to like miscellaneous people across Twitter to the point where I honestly believe you might have been going out of your way to search up certain highlighted words about somebody else. To the and I, I and going as far as saying this is like even going as far as certain people criticizing like even other prospects because people were criticizing how he took faults and it, it seems like it's not working out and so then he's going around saying that well the Sixers weren't it, it, allegedly is his burner account saying well the, the Sixers we're not supposed to take um the Sixers weren't going to take Tatum because he wasn't a good fit and Lonzo he's he doesn't look as he doesn't look that good either so from my estimation the 76ers did a fine time a fine a fine opportunity something something along the lines that they did a good in the um draft like he you're 52 years old what are you doing what are you doing what a shame what a shame and uh this is this is the this is the moment where I say and I quote, I told you so. I seen it coming from a mile away, from 10 miles away. I knew a day like this would come where Colangelo would find a way to either draft the Bargnani for the 76ers or just fuck it up in one way, some way. And he managed, man. It's fantastic. So uh, <laughs> let's talk about. Wait, I'll, I'll wait, wait, before we go. <laughs> Dude, they, they have they have to fire him, right? If it's true, absolutely. I mean, there's no other options. They they have to fire him. Like it's it's not even like a kind of sort of thing. Like that that is a we have to fire you. Not necessarily because you may not be doing your job or, or bringing in the right talent. We have to fire you because people who are working under you don't trust you. Yeah, the second you lose that trust, it's over. And uh, they got to fire. He lost him, the man. trust of all of the relevant players on the 76ers. Even if he wasn't actively tweeting about them, 
If my name is Simmons and I see that uh, he's criticizing MB for dancing like a fool when he's never ever brought up something like that to Embiid or he's never even like even nudged Embiid to hey maybe you should be a little bit healthier is is crazy. That's how you lose trust. And in the NBA, especially in the front office, man, it's all about trust. I think that's part of the reason why Masai Jury is such a fantastic general manager though. Anyway, besides oh my the God. point. Jesus <laughs> All right, which series do you want to talk about, Lo? The Golden State Warriors versus the Rockets, or do you want to talk about the Cavaliers versus the Celtics? Let's, let's do the Cavs, right. man. Uh, Cavaliers found a way. I'm happy to say my prediction was right. Cavs in seven. Although it would have been exciting, of course, to see the Celtics uh, move on to the finals. And just to see something different for once. I don't, like, I'm trying to figure out what it is about the Cavaliers where they just find a way to win all the time. <laughs> Even when it doesn't look like they have a chance at winning, they just find a way to win. LeBron has been playing out of his mind in the playoffs. And he'll kick it in the corner and players are just missing. And low. I'm kind of coming around to the narrative all of a sudden, ever since the Celtics series, that LeBron might be carrying. Now, previously, I was under the impression that it's taking you this no, long? No, but this, here's Christ. the thing, though, is I always thought that it's LeBron's team. He's the leader. And he has competent players who've played great on other teams in the past, right? And so why is it that when they all go on LeBron's team, everybody's playing poorly? There has to be something up with that. But, man, when I watch these guys play sometimes, <laughs> I just think to myself, Jesus, man, LeBron just has to do everything by himself. And, oh, man, it is an incredibly impressive series. Shout out to the Celtics. They managed to get it to seven games without Kyrie or Hayward. Uh, what's your biggest takeaway from the series, Law? My biggest takeaway is that the... Um, it was a few things, but I, th- I think my biggest takeaway is that out of, out of the talks that many people in the NBA community have been having about the next upcoming team or wh- which team has the brightest future... To me, it's it's very obvious that it would have to be the Boston Celtics. For you to go seven games in the conference finals without your two best players, when quite frankly, I would argue, if even if just Kyrie was there, you would be fine. It, it's vastly impressive, and then you also keep in mind that they have other um, they have other assets because they have another they have a Sacramento Kings pick next year, along with. A Memphis pick, or potentially a Memphis and a Clippers pick next year as well. So it's it's just vastly impressive to see what this organization has done and how they've been able to bounce back and rebuild and where they are right now compared to some of their competitors, I guess, or who are in the rebuilding phase, and how quickly they've been able to bounce back and have the type of success that they had while being led by Al Horford, the great Al Horford, the right? great, but. Yep. Yeah, let me like yeah, let me let me not mistaken the great Al uh-huh. Horford, but uh, but I mean, but also, you know, Jason Tatum, as a rookie performing the way that he performed, I would I would argue that there's players who've been in the NBA for ten plus years who we give All Star selections to, and even and even even put try to put in conversations on all, all on all NBA teams who don't perform as well as Jason Tatum has played throughout the entire postseason run, let alone how he showed up in Game 7 against LeBron. So that that's my biggest takeaway. Second biggest takeaway is if Kyrie was healthy, they, they would not have won. 
And and on the flip side of things, if Kyrie had stayed with the Cavs, the Cavs probably would have swept through the um, playoffs again. And if not, and if not swept through, they probably would have lost no more than three games in total throughout all three rounds. So, what do you think about Terry as the year? He was playing well throughout the majority of the playoffs, but in that game seven, man, I ain't never seen a performance that brutally awful. He was just chucking up. Oh no, you 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 saw you you saw one. It was game seven against the Houston with the Houston Rockets. Let me. I chill mean, out. actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> at, at that, at that mo- yeah, at the- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. At, let's, let's say this. At that moment, that was the worst one, right? And then the next day, we saw even one worse. that was yeah, even worse. Yeah. yeah, we saw even worse. But, yeah, I mean, to me, and the, and the reason why, again, it's so impressive for Jason Tatum to do what he did is because, again, you're a rookie and you're not expected to show up like that because in a game seven, you're, you're while a, Isn't even, even, much even of the same, so though? Rookie. He hasn't really been getting... This is the first time he's ever got heavy minutes. That's only because, but that's why that's what that's what I'm saying. You just you, I I expected Rozier to be inconsistent deeper into the playoff runs, and even in this round, he didn't really perform that well against the um the the Cavs. And as a as a series progressed, he was getting worse. And so it's I'm not going to sit here and say I predicted that he was going to shoot you know 0 for 10 from behind the yard, but it doesn't <laughs> surprise me that he he underperformed significantly. Because if you look at what exactly was happening throughout the entire series along during the postseason, he was vastly in, inefficient and inconsistent through m- multiple games. It's just that when they needed him the most, it never really happened. And I guess we may have taken it for granted but, for but, young players such as, again, isn't like, part of it just like stopping? Like, at a certain point, don't you just like, like, for example, though, when I'm at the rec, man, and I miss a, a bunch of shots, and whatever reason, I'm, I'm not feeling my jumper today. Uh, and they're sagging on me because they're they're be- they're betting on me to shoot because it's that's gonna be a low percentage shot. He's not feeling it. Like, why would he continue to shoot? So he sh- he had one good game from the three point line against the Cavaliers where he shot six for ten, and that was game six, and they were getting destroyed that game anyway. The other games against the Cavaliers are, and I cannot make this stuff up: zero for three, two for eight, one for four, three for nine, one for seven, and zero for ten. So throughout that entire series, it felt like the three-point shot that, that was on point against the 76ers kind of just dissipated, man. And although we saw some players on the uh, on the Celtics continue to shoot at least decent or on pace with what they've been doing, it's like we were almost relying at that point on players like Horford to step up offensively just for the Celtics to get a win. And the Cavaliers, low aren't a good defensive team. The Celtics have been just running through folks offensively throughout the playoffs. I did not think they were going to struggle against the Cavalier team. But I guess it wasn't even a matter of good or bad defense. It was just they weren't hitting shots. And it almost seemed like, you know, before the Game 7, Marcus Smart was like, you got to be ready to bleed. You got to be ready to fight. And it, they just didn't really come with that fight. But my biggest takeaway probably is, is Marcus Smart himself, man. I don't, I don't know what i seen. But he's he impressed me, and I, Lo, I've never been this impressed with a player who is, is coming off injuries all the time, and uh, is previously known pretty popularly for being a flopper in the NBA, playing like grade A defense, like he belongs on an all NBA defensive team, and on top of that, offensively still finding ways to contribute. It was it was impressive, man. Altogether, like. I think Marcus Smart would be great behind Kyrie. 
I think if they can, they need to find a way to move Terry. I don't even know if when Kyrie's back, he'll have a spot on the rotation that's worth any more than 20 minutes per game. But we'll see. I don't know if they're going to wean Kyrie back into the lineup and he might get some more minutes early on in the season. I guess that's what the preseason is for anyway. But shout out to the Celtics. Well, uh, let me, well, before, before we wrap effort. it up, let me, let, me, let, me, let me answer two questions, though. When it comes to Terry Rozier, and this is where knowing your role kind of kicks in, Terry Rozier straight up said that he, like, they interviewed him. I don't know if it was his exit interview or they were just interviewing him. But he interviewed him. They were interviewing him and they asked him about Kyrie and how he thought about Kyrie. And he, he flat out said, I'm not really concerned about Kyrie because I know he's going to come back and be our starter. Like, he's going to be fine. And so, I, even though many people may view that as, I and more not really an indictment, but just, and I don't even really think it's sacrificing because, in my opinion, the the idea that anybody thought that they were they should have traded Kyrie because Terry Rozier was going to be their starting point guard was silly, and and that is something else that 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 pissed me off through the entire postseason how people were questioning the value of Kyrie with with the logic the 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 flawed logic that people were utilizing to make not that argument. Lie, man, I haven't seen that but, one time. <laughs> Oh, this is it's people all on my all on my timeline who did that. <laughs> but but even but but even with the Terry Rozier thing, he knows for a fact that he's a bench player, which is fine and that's great. On the flip side, though, we have Marcus Smart, where I've I've read certain things and I don't necessarily know if they're true or not. But he he is he is due to get paid, and I've seen quotes claiming that he's throwing up throwing up amounts such as thirteen million dollars a year. And so, if I was the Raptors. I don't I'd necessarily take him for thirteen million a year. And that's a good price. Well, the thing is, I don't necessarily know how much they have in their budget to give him thirteen million, which is a huge reason why I think they they have they have to look at trading away Gordon Hayward. As crazy as it sounds, because if you if you already found your option with your starting forwards and starting perimeter players, with I think Brown, when you have Kyrie back and Gordon Hayward. Man, that offense is going to be moving so nice with incredibly fluid off-ball screens. And I don't think... But see, we'll, but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll even go as far as saying this. And this is not really a knock on Gordon Hayward. But what is it that, that Tatum did this year that you think that he's not going to be able to duplicate next year? He's just not as good a scorer. Yeah. He might be, eventually. I, dis, I disagree. You think Tatum is a better scorer than Hayward? Low? You're bugging right now, my guy. I don't. I don't think I'm bugging. I think. I think it's. And even even if you want to say he's better, it's not like the the gap is so big that you you can't expect the type of development from Tatum next year. Furthermore, in that game seven, I don't think I would have gotten that type of productivity from Gordon Hayward. I just don't. Uh, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. Low in his last year with Utah, the guy was shooting forty seven percent from the field, getting twenty one twenty two points per game in. What we could both agree is is not a great offense. Like Utah is a great defensive team, and they get a lot of they get a lot of. I don't know, I, but they okay. You see what I'm going at? Utah, Utah, Utah wasn't a, but they weren't. They weren't. They were far from. They were closer to a great offense than a bad offense. And there was definitely a system that they were utilizing to allow Hayward to score. And I'm not. I'm not knocking Hayward as a scorer, but you're saying 47 percent from the field. Tatum shot forty seven percent from the field this yeah, year. Yeah, but on, he was the main scorer. Is what I'm trying to say, man. Like, but there, but there, but there, but Hayward isn't going to be the main scorer on on the Celtics. 
And quite frankly, there really isn't that much of a main score. But if we were to label somebody as a main score, it would be no. I get that. What I'm saying is, when he was on the Jazz, he was the main score. Still on double teams, able to put up buckets like he did at an efficient rate. And so Jason Tatum has never had the pressure of being the main scorer. He's always had magnets on his team. Um, this this playoff run, I don't know what you you, come on, man. You think he was a main scorer in this playoff run? Don't kid yourself, Lo. So who who was who was scoring more points than Jason Tatum? Uh, I, I think Jalen Brown was balling for sure. I don't know if we would put Horford in the mix because oh, Horford I'm, has had some games where he was just shooting like a bucket and it wasn't really working for him. But Jalen Brown was easily like I would say the top scorer in the playoffs for that team. Well, let me let me tell you, he wasn't. It was Tatum. Tatum is the one who scored more points than anybody else. What are you in that talking team. about? And you, Points per game in the playoffs? I'm talking about I'm, ta- I'm talking about I'm talking about the entire playoffs. Points per game? Yes, nigga. I guess. What are you what I mean, because uh, he uh, Jalen Brown didn't play a game, so I'm just saying if you're doing total points. Him. Oh, Jalen Jalen Brown, 18 points. Tatum, 18 and a half. But Tatum shot better from beyond. Yeah, Tatum shot better an from the field. Three bro. point shooter off rip. <laughs> that 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 challenge of coming off of. The college three point line and then taking it, I believe it's a foot back on the three point in the NBA. Lo, I don't know if you ever got a chance to step on an NBA court. Yo, it is really far. You know, you don't think one foot is a big enough difference to throw someone off, but it is. So to come in off rip, uh, I mean, it's impressive. I, I mean, you'll have to convince me, Lo, but I, I do think as of right now, Jalen Brown is a better scorer. Whether, you know, Jason Tatum is, has more length and he'll be able to do this and this in his career and in the future, you know, a lot of people are comparing him to Giannis. I, and I, That's also, a different story. Also, I think, I think also Tatum is just, I think he has more moves in his arsenal than Brown does as well. But what, really what I'm saying is with the development of Tatum as well next season, because everything that Tatum just accomplished, he was 19, 20 years old. So with the Stop development it. of what Tatum may be able to bring, reminded me how old he was, man. Oh my Stop. god! Uh, with the with the development of what Tatum is is what we're, we're really expecting him to bring you on the floor. If if you're saying that Hayward un, in that lineup with Kyrie in that system as well is going to give you 17 at you're most right. 20 points. Wow, I'm looking at his playoff numbers. He was consistently good. Jalen Brown was all over the place. That's what I'm yeah, saying. he was wow. So so that's so that's what I'm saying. So if if you're if you if, if you're telling me that Tatum is going to be if you're telling me that Hayward next year is going to give you somewhere between 17 to 20 points on let's just say 47 Yeah, you might be right about that. 38. You got to think about too low. He's that's off, what I'm coming off yeah. injury. Like not a lot of teams are going to want to take a risk on a player. I I I agree, I agree with that, but if if the opportunity is there, I don't know why you wouldn't take it. That's yeah, what they have enough saying. depth. I mean, what would they trade him away for though? I can't think of a play like you're gonna have Al Horford at center. Kyrie's coming back. Uh, is Morris still gonna be on the lineup next year? I'm not sure if he has an expiring. Morris is gonna be on the lineup, but I think I think they do need just more. I think they need depth. But if they can if they can get an upgrade at the in the front court, then I would take it. I mean, not not really the front court at the five really, because as much as I as you much like as in place of Al Greg Horford, in place of um, what's his man Aaron Baines because it no, was amazing to me how many good. minutes Aaron. I mean, Baines. I don't know how he's. Stop, you're right. You're stop. Stop. stop I think stop, defensively stop. he did what he had. Offensively he wasn't really doing much, but it, it, he almost reminds me of a like a. I'm trying to think of a player. Nah, you're right. I was going to say Aaron Gray. Like he's not really a shot blocker. He's just a, he's like a hustle player. He reminds me maybe Biombo. Stop. Right? Stop. 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 
he he did, he did what he was supposed to do. But if we're being realistic here, we people we were lowering the bar for him because no one really expected much out of him. And so, and, and even when it came to well, the Aaron Baines um, is gone, the Cavs. So is Greg Monroe. So you're right; they will have space for. Uh, yeah, they need. And, and when it came to the Cavs, they were just picking Aaron Baines apart through pick and roll and forcing him as far as out of the paint as he possibly mm-hmm. could. So. All I'm saying is if they can get an upgrade in that position, regardless of what they need to do, I feel like that would be the perfect move they need to do. I mean, realistically speaking, I'm not necessarily saying that this Jeez. is going to happen, but just realistically speaking, sorry, they Yo, could do a Gordon sign Hayward trade. Gordon Hayward getting paid $31 million, my guy. Nobody's taking that. <laughs> Coming off of injuries, zero people are taking that. I can't think of a team who would take that. Mm, I don't know. Actually, don't the know. Raptors, if they'll take DeRozan, but I mean, nobody would take, you know? So No one's taking they wanna, they, If they no want a useful player back... Like, they're going to have to be offer a pick or something with that. And I don't know if they're willing to sacrifice that. And it might be time at a certain point. Like, what are you going to do with all these young players? <laughs> Yo, the Celtics can low in, like, three years have the most paid team in NBA history. Because if everybody's a restricted free agent, they could just max everybody and keep everybody on roster. And because players like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be coming off rookie contracts... Those guys are going to be getting paid a lot of money, man. And so if we're looking at near max for all these young guys with all this potential, yeah, they're going to have to do some uh, jumping jacks to find a way to fit their uh, their cap, man. So if they are going to make any moves, you're right. It's going to have to happen either this year or early next year. And uh, Gordon Hayward is the most paid player on the team. How is Kyrie still getting paid $18 million a year? Because his con- his contract hasn't expired. Yet he needs he needs forty million. New CBA. He needs forty million, man. But that but that's also that's another problem as well because Kyrie's contract is going to expire as well. So you got to pay him, Brown, Tatum, Marcus Smart, and then you're still going to have Al Horford either one year left on the books or probably around around the time you're going to come off the books. All that stuff is going to yeah. happen, and then you still have Hayward. Like financially speaking. The team is great talent wise, but financially speaking, there's just there's just not enough wiggle room. I think they to, do because they have enough work out. They have enough good picks and young guys like Terry was here. Even Shane Larkin, actually, no, he's gonna be gone after this year. But they have enough young guys they can move if they want. Marcus Morris proved himself to be incredibly valuable at five million a year. He's a bargain for any team that wants him. Uh, but he, but eventually he's not going. to... Oh, okay, you talking about trading? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So okay. I'm saying like you could always tag one of those bargain players with the pick and Gordon Hayward for another player on a different team. Uh, I, do you know how valuable the the picks that the Celtics have are? I don't. I mean, I, the um the king the Kings pick is is an unprotected Kings pick. So next year's unprotected so a good pick. pick. All right, nice. <laughs> so that's pretty. I'm gonna say it's pretty valuable, but. I mean, but in, in, in general, at this point, we are kind of like nitpicking the, what, what this what the Sixers did this year. I mean, not Sixers on what the um Celt- I mean, even the Sixers as well. But what the Celtics did this year was was probably the most impressive thing I've seen in a very long time, at least since is it, it the, is it uh, more impressive? Mavericks. Yeah, I was gonna say, is it more impressive than the Mavericks winning? The, I mean, what that at, at that that's where I would maybe have to stop in in suggest that maybe it's not but i mean even that mavericks team still had veterans still had dirk i mean this is a team that's literally led by and this is no knock with any of these players but you know the great out <laughs> one 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 all if i'm not mistaken one all nba team a few all-star selections but never viewed as being the best player on the team that can make it to the conference finals and push lebron to the game seven Jalen Brown, second-year player. Jason Tatum, a rookie. Marcus Marcus Morris was bouncing around the NBA before he got on his team. Marcus Smart is a bench player. And Terry Rozier was assigned to six 
G League teams Jeez. before he, he finally <laughs> made the cut to make this roster. So this is not like some some team that has players that really should have made it this far, which is why it's extremely impressive. And again, Brad Stevens, because I don't want to leave him out, Brad Stevens was great this entire year. Yeah. I feel like Brad Stevens needs a pay raise. They should find a way to <laughs> renegotiate that contract. Man, just think about it. They could sell off a lot of these players for a lot more than they're probably worth on the free market uh, just because they're playing in a system that's so fantastic that it's probably inflated. Like, 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 they, like, they, like, they, did, like they did with um, Kyrie? And, and Jay Crowder, yep, all those players, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Wait, Kyrie. They just got yep. Kyrie. You saying Kyrie's a system guy? No, I'm saying... No, I'm, I'm saying no, what I'm saying is how they got Kyrie with Jay Crowder and oh, Isaiah yeah, Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jay and Crowder and Isaiah Thomas may not be as good as, you know, as people were yeah. saying. Yeah, just like that. But they only looked at they only looked that good because of that system. Yep. You know, that, that that definitely can happen as yep. well. So if you're the Cavaliers, you should almost at this point know that your team is losing to the Warriors. Uh interestingly enough, wait, do you have anything you would say about the the Cavaliers before we move on to the Warriors? I know you don't like to do this, but I mean, this is just further proof are and you, evidence. Are you bringing that, up the Hall of Fame? No, You're comparing no, him to Michael Jordan. This is further, for not even compare. I'm just saying he's the second greatest player of all time, and I don't, I don't, I would go as far as saying even, even with Michael Jordan, whoever you want to say, I really don't know that many players in NBA history, if any, that would have been able to do what he's been able to do this postseason run at the age that he's at on that team with the amount of miles that he has on his body. It's it's remarkable. 15 years in, eight straight finals appearances. The other seven to me are not that impressive, but this he one He played the entire game impressive. seven. He played 48 minutes. Yeah, and played 46 minutes in game six. That's not healthy. <laughs> That's why Kobe got injured. Kobe and, tried and, doing that. <laughs> and, 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 and it's played up until... Um, the game seven, he's played over fifty thousand minutes, career minutes. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, crazy. they had his uh, over under at thirty eight points, or was it thirty six points? And I was like, God damn! Imagine how great you have to be, where people just are expecting you to get at least thirty eight points. Like that is crazy. And uh, I put out this tweet the second uh, the, the cat the second after game six was over. I'm like, Yo, I don't know about y'all, but here's what I know. LeBron doesn't lose Game Seven, so, so Celtics got off to a hot start. But I knew the Cavs were going to find a way and slowly clawed their way back and found a way to secure the W. Uh, I, you know what I'm tired of, Lo? Every time LeBron does something like fantastic, like he'll do an insane dunk or incredible shooting, contested shot, or and one with insane strength. I just I hop on Twitter and here I am just thinking to myself what a fantastic player and here I, I'm just celebrating the player his the individual player and on Twitter it's like see that's why he's better than Michael Jordan do you see that Michael Jordan could never do that and I'm like man what is wrong with these people these these LeBron fans low they they are they're victims they, they they always victimize themselves. I keep seeing LeBron fans talk about how everybody's always hating on LeBron, and then and then how he's better than. But every every time I'm looking, is is the LeBron fans being toxic? Is let's just appreciate how fantastic of a run this has been for the Cavaliers, and who knows, maybe they'll find a way to pull one out, you know. But no, they won't. Not, but you know, assuming not. no injuries, they, they definitely will not. But man, wow, you're right, Lo. I don't know how he can't be number two after this year. 
Oh, I'd have wow. to come up with a list, of course, to verify that. But uh, oh, wow! Uh, of course, of course, the so list would come first. But yeah, yeah. That's, oh, uh, wow! You're you're wow, agent. That's that's crazy. So let's talk about the Golden State Warriors versus the Houston Rockets. Uh, Lo, I'm not feeling this Golden State team at all. They're not as good as they were last year or the year before. They're having these long, dry runs offensively, which is odd. And now, granted, Clay was in foul trouble a lot of Game Seven, and so maybe they didn't have Clay. But you have Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, who's been struggling throughout the series, I've just it's, it's almost baffled me how you can have so much talent and still, even though you've been playing great offense the last few years, just automatically crumble for extended periods of time. Uh, there was moments where I didn't think the Warriors were going to win the game. And I had no doubt the Warriors were going to win uh, before this series began. So before we even get into anything, let me just say this. The Houston Rockets defensively were fantastic. And I never thought I would say that. I, You know, they, they were a horrible team in the past. This year, they were like, a, I thought like they were, they were good. They weren't really, they were fantastic in these playoffs. Uh... To hold that team to there was there was times where like it was halftime and they, like they had like low forties in points and I'm like wow that is impressive man uh, and they don't even have a lot of great defenders on that team granted they weren't playing guys like Ryan Anderson uh, much throughout the course of the playoffs who's offensive oriented and isn't that great on defense but man. I really thought the Rockets were going to come away with it after the first half low. I went to sleep because halftime took forever. And then I wake up and the Warriors already won with like two minutes left. I was incredibly pissed off. Um, but that would have been maybe the only chance for the Cavaliers to win the finals. Wait, what's your takeaway, man? What's happening with this uh, Golden State-Houston Rockets series? Like you said, the, the Rockets, what they did defensively is what really stood out to me. Um there was just moments where I felt like P.J. Tucker just wanted it more than anybody else on the floor. The way he was able to rebound, I think it was one game where he grabbed like six or eight offensive boards. It was, it was yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> and, and for someone that size, and there was moments where he would just out-rebound Ke- Kevin Durant, he was vastly impressive. And so... It's it's interesting because I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to necessarily live off of a what-if, but it is interesting to think if... Chris Paul was healthy. How they would have finished off their they series? Probably would want to be honest, because like, yeah, because like like you said though, there was there was moments in both game and, and game six where they had a lead that was pretty sizable, and I think a huge thing that killed the Rockets, which ironically is what made the Rockets, which was their three point shooting. When you get to a point where you're shooting zero for twenty seven, where you're missing twenty seven consecutive three pointers. In a two-quarter stretch, in the middle of the second quarter to the middle of the fourth quarter, when you get to that stretch of basketball, the fact that really no one made the made the decision to stop shooting threes and just start getting to the rim and drawing fouls and kind of disrupt the flow of the Warriors, while also the Warriors are going on that run as well, that's the part where Chris Paul kind of steps in. And even though I know the analytic community doesn't like it, but you got to find a, a way to just get some shots, and even if that means taking mid-range jumpers, that's what you have to do. And so part of me wants to... I, I'm, I'm applauding them because no one expecting them to get this far. But I, and I'm also applauding them because of the defensive intensity. However, I think I, I think the thing that made them is the thing that was a demise. I don't think so. And it's amazing to I, me. I, I sincerely believe that 
their ridiculous offense they run, which in so many ways, especially when they're not hitting shots, is frustrating, actually works. And it's been working the entire series. And if Chris Paul was still there, because remember, there was games where literally the whole team was playing bad and it was Chris Paul hitting all these ridiculous shots, keeping... There was a there was a timeout low, I believe it was in Game 5, where Chris Paul just had everything on lock. Coach wasn't saying nothing, James Harden was sitting down with the towel, and it was Chris Paul running shit. And so to have him not there, almost <laughs> to like transform as a team leader, I think was massive. But after this year, we just saw a team that was fantastic on offense but horrible on defense fix up their defense and prove to us that their ridiculous offense works. The same way when the Warriors first won the NBA Finals, we were super clear at that point that it's not teams that shoot a high frequency of three-point shots can still be successful. And so I think it's just about breaking the boundary and quote-unquote getting over the hump. And although they didn't win, I'm convinced now that next year they're going to come back really strong, man. And, you know, just if, if Katie wasn't on that team or like, with that much talent, just to be able to keep up, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Now, I am a little disappointed uh, in, in the Rockets for performing so horribly in that last game offensively. Let me just, low talk to you about some of the three-point numbers for this team because it was downright pathetic. Trevor Ariza was 0 for 9 from 3. P.J. Tucker had the greatest percentage on the team, 2 for 5. Eric Gordon was 2 for 12. James Harden was 2 for 13. Gerald Green was 1 for 4. Joe Johnson was 0 for 1. So the whole team was chucking up bricks. If I'm not mistaken, though, they missed 27 threes in a row at one point. Yeah, that's what I just <laughs> said. Yeah, 27, 27 That's crazy. Threes. I saw that number so many times on Twitter, and I could not believe it. Like, we just seen the Celtics put up this pathetic offensive. Uh, I don't know what they were doing. They're just breaking everything. And here we go. Houston Rockets trying to one-up them with probably the most brutal performance I've seen offensively in a while. Uh, unfortunately, man, I think Chris Paul would have changed that. I think he would have. Well, let me let me say this about the whole like shooting threes thing, and this is why I disagree. Because in game in game four and in game five, they were able to win even as they shot poorly from behind the arc. And game four. They held the, the Golden State Warriors only 92 points, which is amazing. And they only scored, they only had to score 95 points. PJ Tucker 0 for, 0 for 2 from behind the arc. James Harden 3 for 12 from behind the arc. Um, Eric Gordon 1 for 8 from behind the arc. Gerald Green 1 for 4 from behind the arc. And as a team, they shot 31.6% from behind the arc. And then in game five, they Jesus, shot 30% from behind the arc. And in game, and in game, and in game five, um, this man James Harden shot zero for eleven from oh behind the arc, and they and they still won. And so I understand what you're saying about you know you 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 the three point and I and I get the whole spacing, I get the whole mathematic that comes behind it as well. But there are just times where they didn't have to keep shooting threes. There's times where they could have just went inside the lane and just find easy baskets. But when you when you're playing that level of defense that deep into the playoffs, that level of fatigue will eventually catch up with you, and you're going to eventually underperform. Yeah. Especially when you're asking players like PJ Tucker and Trevor Ariza to guard some of the greatest shooters the league has ever seen on the other side of the floor. But and, and so with me saying that as well, it's hard for me, and I know people that want me to answer this as well. It's really hard for me to criticize or even look at James Harden. In a negative light. 
despite the fact that I know for a fact that he consistently does this, James Harden finished this series shooting 41% from the field and 24% from behind the arc. On and he scored he scored around 29 points, but six assists, but turned the ball over five basically five times. And so it's I it's hard for me because I understand the load that he has to carry offensively. But on the flip side of things, there are just so many times where Harden takes shots where it's just like that's not a good shot. Like even even if you want to go with the analytics of threes are better than twos, a, con- a contested three. A heavily contested three, as you're trying to draw a foul and you don't get the foul, that's not better than an open two just because it's a three. Shots like that is what makes Harden so frustrating to watch because it, he does it so consistently, and those are those end up being wasted possessions. And so, it's it's hard. It is easy for me to look at D'Antoni and the way that he plays and why I think a lot of a lot of his teammates or a lot of his players. They underperformed from behind the arc, despite the fact that that wasn't a theme throughout the regular season. But James Harden does this almost every single year. And I don't know if it's because he's not in physical shape. I don't know if it's because he has too much of the load offensively, even though. (laughs) I can't think of a reason why. But I mean, but, but, but even, but even Chris Paul was, even when Chris Paul was playing him in the first, playing with him in the first five games, it's not like he was shooting that great either. Because again, in game five, he shot zero for, zero for 11 from behind the arc. So I don't know what it is, and I don't know why I'm, I'm necessarily trying to find an excuse. I think it's just because it's predictable. Maybe Harden right? just doesn't like perform. he drive. Yeah, he's, he's he's very predictable. You might do yeah, a pick right. and roll, catch Capella on the oop. If not, if they for whatever reason collapse, like Golden State was doing a lot in Game Seven, then you just find it, kick it to the corner, and Trevor Reza will go zero for nine from three over there. Or you might catch PJ Tucker, and on a good day, he'll shoot two for five. Like. I just think their offense is so predictable. It's almost like they're allergic to mid-range shots. <clears throat> like, we see players like Sean Livingston lives for mid-range. KD lives for mid-range. Even though he's a great three-point... Man, you got me fucked up, Lo. My phone is ringing. Face. You see this shit? I can't even I can't even do a podcast at 1 a.m., Lo, without getting interrupted. That is crazy, bro. Oh, my God. That is crazy. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll say this while he's, he answered his phone real quick. Um... With the, with the hard and being predictable thing, again, I agree with you. And I think he should mix it up way more. And I and I think that's the part of LeBron's game and Chris Paul's game that is so valuable that at the end of games, they're able to have some level of time management that works in their favor heavily. And getting to the free throw line, making mid-range jumpers, even though analytically it may not be the best shot, it still works out for them. But in Game 7... When Clay Thompson picks up three fouls in the first quarter, how you cannot capitalize that is beyond me. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how. I don't know how you cannot camp like like that's that's a perfect example of game seven at home. You have a massive advantage because their starting guard that will be defending you just picked up three quick fouls, and if I'm not mistaken, two of the quick fouls. They were picked up on. They were picked up on Harden. Like Harden was the reason why they pick. He picked them up, and the fact that he still was not able to capitalize in game in game seven, even with but, that type of advantage. But like, even that's though Clay had three fouls, he convinced uh, Steve Kerr to put him on most of the second quarter. Imagine if you pick up four fouls in the second quarter, and you're like, you're Clay Thompson. He was like, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but just from watching the games, he was been the best shooter on the court that series. Uh, man, low. I, a thought crossed my mind when I was watching the series. You gotta tell me if I'm crazy. 
I was seeing Clay Thompson knock down everything. And I just thought to myself for a second. I don't know if I believed it or not. I just thought it, though. Is Clay Thompson he's the second a best better shooter guard? than Curry? What is happening? We've seen. Oh, now, no, I think Curry, you know, he's been having his injury issues, and we don't know how. They'll never make the excuse. No, they'll never come out and say no, it. But the way I seen Clay no. shooting coming off these screens, man, I was thinking to myself, mm, no. You might no, have to call the plays for Clay no. Thompson the rest of the series, man, the way he's shooting. Stop, I, don't think, I don't know stop, if I believed it. Stop. It just crossed my mind, though. The same, man. You must, you, but you didn't. You didn't watch that third quarter. No, did I you? watched it back. Yeah, that third quarter was monstrous for yeah, Curry. Yeah, monstrous. Like that. That third quarter definitely kind of set the tone and, and reevaluated any second thoughts that anybody had about Curry and where he ranks. So I, I can't say that either. But I mean, Clay Thompson. I think Clay. That's the reason why I think Clay Thompson is the second greatest shooter of all time. Because I, like the way that he just comes off screens or he's knocking down three pointers, uh, some of them are contested. Like yeah, I, I think, and, and he shows up too. That's the part that like is amazing to me that he's a he's a perfect three and D guy that shows up. And I don't know how many players can say that they that they're able to do that. Let alone teams even say they have players who be able to do that, especially at the clip in which Curry, I mean, um, Clay is able to do it do so when it comes to shooting threes. I, I agree with what you're saying, but it's just that after that first quarter, I don't know how Harden continued to struggle with Klay Thompson spending time on the bench. I just I just don't. I don't see how that's possible. They were collapsing on him, uh, and he was kicking it out a lot. A lot. They were double-teaming Harden every time he drove, and they were relying on good rotations. But, but, in, the, in, the, but in, the, in, the fir- in the first half... Let me let me do. I'm about to look at it right now. In the first half, I don't think Clay played that many minutes because of the no, he did because of the fouls. He did he played 15 minutes in the first? No, half. I know, but he, considering he got three fouls in like five minutes of playing, he played with three fouls for a long time. But even but even with the even with the that I mean that is a long time with with three fouls. But even in the first half, as Harden played more minutes because of Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson was, wasn't um, defending him though. With the, like when he came back with his third foul, I think they put. But but even, even but that, that still is further proof. The fact that they couldn't put Clay Thompson or Harden that, that should mean that it, it should make it easier for yeah. Harden. Harden finished the first half shooting five for fifteen from the field, two for eight from behind. But what do you him. what do you do if you're Dan Tony? So, like he has a green light to shoot. You like you don't want to like. But you have to mix it up. That's and 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 again, okay, and that's what I'm that's what I'm getting at. I don't know if I'm blaming Harden. Because this isn't the first time, and that's the reason why I'm looking at Harden kind of suspect suspiciously. But then on the flip side, I know that's how D'Antoni is coaching. I know D'Antoni is just giving them this outrageously false confidence to just keep shooting threes, even though that's not really working. And so I don't necessarily know who should receive more blame in in those decisions that were being made. Also, another on, a, on another note, if I'm not mistaken. Dan Tony finished that game with four timeouts that he never used, <laughs> despite the fact that they were running, uh, they had, they were they were running out of juice and they were missing a whole bunch of threes. And the Warriors are going on a ridiculous run, and he never called a timeout yeah, if, during the third quarter. Home, and if he did, it was like, like once that you shouldn't lose that game. I know you didn't have Chris Paul, but even without Chris Paul, just a, like there's you're at home, you fought all year to get this advantage. To play this game seven at your home court, I know Curry. I mean, I know uh, Chris Paul wasn't playing, man. But damn, that's. I mean, I, I'm disappointed in Dan Tony. I'm disappointed in Harden. But at the same time, I think 
I'm not angry at them. I'm more hopeful that next year they'll be back. And hopefully, depending on the Capella situation, they'll be better. They'll come back better. I don't know why. Like, and, remember and, when they hacked him in the first quarter? I was thinking, like, maybe should like they slowed the whole pace down when they began to hack Capella. I was in my mind. I'm thinking, just continue to hack. Like it's working. Whether he misses his free, th- I low I low key thought about that too. Yeah, I thought about that. <laughs> I don't know too. why he yeah. stopped doing it. Almost like he felt bad that the crowd was going to be disappointed. Who cares? You want to make it to the NBA Finals? Like it, it was. I don't know. Maybe he he didn't want some of his guys to get too many fouls or, but like get give Sean Livingston the fouls. Like there's so many options, man. I don't know. I felt like it was a good strategy. But see. It- and here, here's another thing too I want to say about that about them getting this close. That's the part that's so interesting about it is that, and that's the reason why I'm I'm kind of obsessed to try to figure out what exactly they need to do because even with them having, you know, un- unluck unlucky things happen to them with Chris Paul getting hurt and then them being massively flawed down the stretch in both game six and seven, and even if you want to say they were unlucky. Well, they're missing um, the three pointers twenty seven in a row, and it's even some people were saying that the um, that the the refs were in he- heavily favored for the um, Warriors. Even with all of that against them, they still push it to a seven game series, and in the halftime in Game Seven, they were up by eleven. So it's not like it was that irrational for them to. For them to for them to be in that in that game and that's in that um and eventually win that series, and so the reason why I'm I'm harping on trying to figure out why they lost is because if they make that one tweak, it could legit just be one tweak and they could potentially beat them. I don't think it's a tweak. Now again, I think it's plenty of issues that maybe plenty of things they can improve on. I don't think it's just one thing, man. I think a lot of it just has to do with D'Antoni, and I I'm not again I'm not trying to exclude or or um. Or leave out what Harden did because again Harden played poorly again. But I just don't know how you can expect somebody to keep up that level of intensity. And this is beyond Harden. This is like the entire team. When D'Antoni is running a seven-man rotation, expecting them to play defense at an elite level, and then going to the other end and just chuck up threes. That I might don't have know been how it. I possible. think it might have been fatigue. Like yeah, seven-man rotation. Guys was playing serious minutes, man. Right. But that that's then there's again as D'Antoni and how you end the game with four timeouts like stuff like that just doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me I just don't get that there was a time but low, at, I don't know if you booked it where they they had an officials timeout uh, played some commercials they got back into the game and immediately another timeout was called by the war called another timeout and I was yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, how you I rest your it. players man somebody was obviously tired on Golden State that's how they did that if your guys are tired man you're playing them serious minutes just. Use the timeouts. I mean, I know it rests the other team too, but damn, man. If your team is missing 27 straight threes, they ought to get some rest. That might be the solution. I don't know, but I, I, after all that, I do want to just, again, just give props to the um, the Rockets because I feel like some of those players, like I said, P.J. Tucker, even though Trevor Reza missed a lot of his shots and, you know, it is what it is, but still Trevor Reza on a defensive end, I think Eric Gordon had moments on the offensive end. I think Chris Paul, Chris Paul is crazy. Chris Paul might have proved, proven that he's still one of the top ten players in the NBA. But for like people like Chris Paul and LeBron 10. to be, <laughs> uh, you might be. But I mean, or or or, or bare minimum top yeah, fifteen. Okay, that might be an argument for 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 people like Chris Paul and, and LeBron to be in the NBA thirteen to fifteen years and them still being able to play at that level is is ridiculous. Yep, it is. It's ridiculous, yeah. 
Uh, on that note, what else? What else? We, I don't think there's anything else that happened in the NBA. No, that, that's that's about it because um, the finals. Yeah. Oh, are you excited, Low? Or are you? I mean, I guess. I mean, I get. No, I'm, I'm me not neither. excited. It's, it's the same I thing. I saw King of the part, Fourth Quarter tweet. Part of me, he was like, uh, "How could you not be excited about the finals where we could see LeBron take on the best?" And I was like, "What do you mean, man? We just seen this matchup like three years in a row, man. How could you still be excited about it? Like, I get the prospect that LeBron could overcome and crazy come." But, man, it'd be nice to see a different team in the finals for once. It's kind of boring seeing the same old team. Maybe maybe for us, for the casual fans, they probably love it. You know, the guys that just watch, like, a few a few but, games a year, then show up in the finals to be the biggest LeBron fanboys or the biggest Steph Curry fanboys, interestingly enough. But, see, that that's that's the problem, and that's the reason why I don't necessarily know it's it's the best thing that, um, that they keep going to the finals because – you're almost building an NBA that's dependent on LeBron, and that's I don't, true, I don't I think that, that may that. not that that may not work because it's only a few more years that LeBron is going to be in the NBA, and if you don't mix it up, even even though people love to act like there's always been no to little parity in the NBA, it's never been to this extreme. It's it's literally never been to this extreme. You tell me we haven't seen so, the same matchup four times in a row with thirty different four, teams. Four years, <laughs> four years in a row. It is it is literally never been this extreme. And so when people talk about, and again I understand what they're saying as well, but when people refer to about how there's always been super teams or there's always been little to no parity, that that's not correct. Even though Kobe. Went to the finals three consecutive years in 2008, 9, and 10. People did not know in the beginning of the season that Kobe was going to make the finals all three of those years. They did not know that. They did not know in the beginning of the season that was going to happen. Even though Duncan and, and the Spurs went on to go to six finals and, and won five championships, it may have been one season where they were heavily favored to make the finals. Outside of that, at, 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 at most... I know for a fact three of three, possibly four of those finals appearances that they made, people did not know in the beginning of the season that they were going to make it. When Dallas made it to the finals, both of the years, people did not know they were going to make it, especially when it comes to um the the um Pistons making it and and et cetera, et cetera. Like this idea that 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 it's always been this way, that is completely false. That is completely false. People gotta stop stop with that. That's a false narrative. Indeed it is. On that note, Lo, uh we should end end the pod here. We we haven't done a highlight player in a minute, man. Hello, what's your what's your highlight player? I mean, shit. I I got a few. I got a few people, but I, I'm I'm going to give it to PJ Tucker because, like I said before, the way he was playing, I got to look at. I got to find that that number and the rebounds he had. It was one game where he had like I think he had like eight offensive boards. It was ridiculous. Yeah, like, but P, PJ Tucker really wanting it, going after it, giving it his all. And when you're asking, when you're looking for a player like PJ Tucker in today's league, which is pretty valuable, crazy enough, you really can't ask more out of a player such as PJ Tucker. But PJ Tucker was out there giving his all, playing, in my opinion, more than what he had to do. It was game seven. He had eight offensive rebounds. Eight. He was boxing folks out, man. <laughs> Just chucking folks. Bo- boxing yeah. people out. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give mine to uh, my guy, Marcus Smart. And also Al Horford, both of those guys have been incredibly impressive throughout the playoffs. Um, 
and I don't even know. They both did their own thing. Marcus Smart defensively, fantastic. Maybe just Al Horford. I used to I used to mock Al Horford because people pegged him as this transformational player that's going to bring the Celtics to the to, to the finals. Al Horford's going to be the one. And so they built up all these expectations. But what do we know? Al Horford has been a great leader for the team. And honestly, man, they wouldn't be anywhere near where they are right now without him, especially with Hayward and Kyrie out. So those are my two highlight points. Facto. Uh, on that note, though, that'll be it for the Off Top Podcast, otherwise known as the Brian Colangelo is a fucking idiot. Was that the name of the podcast? I think it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we'll catch you guys on the next one where hopefully I won't be sick. Peace. Peace. You're so corny. Oh, we should have said this man Pusha T bodied Drake. You think so? Yeah. I don't think he got bodied. I think it was good, though. It was nice. Cut it out. Well, Cut it, it out. It was everything Cut we knew, out. though. Right? We knew because he talked about it in more life. There was rumors all early last year that he had a kid. I don't think he got bodied.